Good morning, everyone. Glenn Schiffman here, and welcome to the IEC and Angie Home Services fourth quarter earnings call. Joining me today is Joey Levin, CEO of IAC and chairman of Angie Home Services. Also, Brandon Rittenauer, CEO of Angie Home Services, and Anjali Sood, CEO of Vimeo, will be joining the call. Welcome, Anjali. Similar to last quarter, supplemental to our quarterly earnings releases, IAC has also published its quarterly shareholder letter. We will not be reading the shareholder letter on this call. It is currently available on the investor relations section of IAC's website. I will shortly turn the call over to Joey to make a few brief introductory remarks, and then we'll open it up to Q&A. Before we get to that, I'd like to remind you that during this call, we may discuss our outlook and our future performance. These forward-looking statements typically may be preceded by words such as we expect, we believe, we anticipate, or similar such statements. These forward-looking views are subject to risks and uncertainties, and our actual results could differ materially from the views expressed here today. Some of these risks have been set forth in IAC and Angie Home Services, fourth quarter press releases, and our respective filings with the SEC. We'll also discuss certain non-GAAP measures, which include adjusted EBITDA, which we'll refer to today as EBITDA for simplicity during this call. I'll also refer you to our press releases, the IAC shareholder letter, and again, to the investor relations section of our website for all comparable gap measures and full reconciliations of all material non-gap measures. Let's jump right into it. Joey? Thanks, Brian. I just want to correct one uh, uh, mistake I made there in the opening comments, which is repeated reference to a call. We've stuck a little bit in the past right now. I want to welcome everybody here to our video. Uh, those of you who will be reading the transcript, you're missing out. We've got the beautiful smiling faces of all of our analysts, Anjali, Glenn, Brandon coming from, from Denver. And uh, this is not just a, a new way of, of doing things, it's also a great display of what uh, is really central right now or, or the exciting story at IAC right now, which is Vimeo. Uh, and and the, the, the fun part of this, is not just that we've got everybody on video and we've got logos here and our names and, and chirons and things like that, which is pretty cool, all using Vimeo's live stream technology. But the other piece is this is just the beginning of this video's journey with Vimeo. So uh, after this, it will be edited, it will be shared, it will be archived, it will be part of our corporate library, and we'll have access to that forever on Vimeo and it's a, it's a pretty cool display of, of what can be done and, and obviously we're seeing that happen quite a bit all over the world now in, in really fun and interesting and exciting ways and I'm sure we'll talk about that today. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to, to say is we had a great year in 2020 and we feel very good about how we did um, on a lot of different levels, a lot of different ways we measure ourselves. Uh, of course, one big one is revenue and uh, growing through 2020 is, is quite an accomplishment. And in any given year, we enter the year and we have big ambitions over the course of the year to accelerate uh, and and where we finish the year growing 27% year on year in aggregate at IEC uh, and you know the individual stories within IEC are really what matter there. So it's that, that growth and aggregate is something we're really excited about and uh, uh, the way that the team operated this year through all the things that were going on was really, really impressive. So that's the uh, that's the story I wanted to get. I know we've got a lot of people on here and we've got a lot of questions. So 
let's get to questions quickly. And Mark, can I go? Why don't you lead us off there? Great. Uh, thanks, Kelly. So for our first question, we'll go to Eric Sheridan uh, from UBS. Thanks, everyone, and uh, Happy New Year to the whole team. Hope everyone's um, safe and well. Maybe two questions, if I can. Joey, for you, you know, maybe you could help to explain why a, a spinoff of Vimeo was the right choice in entirety for both Vimeo and IEC, and, and maybe lay out some of your views about how you plan on repositioning IEC X Vimeo on the equity side uh, for the long term on the other side of the spin. And maybe Anjali, if I could sneak maybe one in for you, obviously a super interesting year for Vimeo on the demand side. How should we be thinking about you aligning investments and product innovation against what you learned in 2020, against what you're trying to do on sort of a five-year view and grow Vimeo as a platform? Thanks. Sure. On the IPOs, full spin versus partial spin. So, so you saw we raised capital in the private market for Vimeo. I think that's all the capital that Vimeo needs for a while. Uh, and that was quick and easy and uh, no real distraction for the team. And getting that done in, in that way, I think, was allowed us to do what's important, which is focus on growing the business and Anjali and team to, to focus on things like product and sales and marketing and, and not the fundraising side or the capital market side. And that that uh, that that got done the sort of function of an IPO or raising capital. Then, as it relates to partial verse verse entirely, uh, what we wanted to do was get Vimeo out there on its own to have its own currency, to be unfettered, to be a clean, clear story on its own, and uh, complete spin is what accomplishes that. Uh, at any given point, you know, we get this question a lot of well, are you, uh, is now the time on account of value or is now the time on account of a lack of value or things like that? What the, the, the focus for us is getting the business out to be clean and clear and operating the best unfettered. And we think right now that, that Vimeo can do that, can stand on its own, can stand well on its own. And uh, there's no reason to, to hold back a piece at IEC. And IT shareholders, of course, participate in all of that regardless uh, in a very clean way. The, the next question, important one, of course, what's next for IT? We, we any time we're, we're, we've done a spin and we've been through a few of these, the, the immediate next question is, okay, what's next? And uh, the, every time also, it's a little bit of, I don't, I don't see a lot of, of what's left in the cupboard there. And even that was as recently as, as the match spin and people not quite seeing the, the Vimeo story as clearly as uh, we saw it or as, as amazing as it's played out, I mean, even, even surprised us. We've got a great collection of businesses right now uh, at IAC X Vimeo, who Angie, uh, you're all quite familiar with, is, is um, just a huge business in a huge category with a huge leadership position. And we've got a lot we're doing on the product side that we're very excited about to open up more of the market. Uh, Dot Dash is starting to really come out of its shell uh, in, in growing 33% last quarter and being a real business with real, real moats, we think, in the publishing category, which is something that previously didn't, I didn't think was, was possible or in recent history. Uh, a lot of people didn't think was possible. Uh, We've got CARE, which is relatively new for us, but we think can be a huge marketplace and a huge uh, uh, $30 billion, $40 billion category. And I think there's ways to expand that category to the hundreds of billions. 
And uh, again, a huge leadership position, nobody really close there. And we've also got, as you know, we get this question a lot, but a large amount of cash, nearly $3 billion of cash that we're going to put to work. And we're going to put that to work with no rush, uh, no urgency to buy things, no urgency to buy things in any particular market. But uh, generally with the same priorities we always have, which is first, the businesses that we know that we own uh, are going to be the first priority on capital so we can have a real fundamental advantage in acquiring something. And I think that applies both to new businesses in our existing categories and to share repurchases. Obviously, we understand our own business. Hopefully, we understand our own business pretty well. Uh, and then looking for new categories. And you know, I think generally strong preference for control positions. We do have a couple recent examples that uh, have, have worked out in minority positions, but generally we're going to be focused on control positions and, and hopefully we'll, we'll enter a few new categories and likely on the earlier side uh, of things, but, but we'll see. And, and we've got a pretty good stable of the whole range, meaning we've got early stage businesses and Nursefly and Blue Crew that we're really excited about right now. And we've got uh, later stage businesses and Angie and Dot Dash that we're really excited about. And all of those, I think, if we've got them in the portfolio right now, it's because we believe they have, have real potential. Hi, Eric. Uh, so to your question about incremental investment and product innovation at Vimeo over the next few years, and the thing that we've learned uh, since the pandemic is just how much bigger the market opportunity is than what we thought. And we really believe our TAM is every professional, every team, every organization in the world who now needs to use video to reach their customers and employees. And we've had so many organizations and businesses knocking on our door in recent months asking to use video in ways that we don't yet have the product for. So you know, it's, it's an early market. Um, I think product innovation is where we will be focusing our long-term investments. And some of the things that we're, we're trying to do is we want to be the single corporate video solution for any organization of any size to share content internally and externally. Uh, we have a great position now in certain parts of that. We can power town halls and trainings, but there are so many other ways that video is proliferating throughout organizations in everything from sharing product demos and creative walkthroughs to rethinking how webinars work to making every interaction with video more engaging. And so we, we see lots of opportunity um, and you'll see both our, our near-term and our long-term investments really designed to, to solve these needs. Uh, we'll also be investing in, in areas like sales and marketing on the sales side in the near-term, expanding our, our sales force both domestically and outside the US. We see a big opportunity to increase our marketing spend, particularly on mobile. Um, where we're, we have an opportunity, we've been historically very web focused. And you'll also see us do things like diversify our acquisition channels by investing in areas like partnerships and in our free products. So it's an early market. I think we have a great head start with a leading all-in-one software solution, but we want to turn that head start into a definitive lead and uh, we're excited with the, the capital and the focus to do that. Great. Uh, our next question will go to Corey Carpenter at J.P. Morgan. Great. Um, thanks, Mark. I had two questions on Angie. Uh, first for Brandon, could you give us an update on where you are 
just in terms of addressing your supply constraint challenges and how impactful you think some of your product initiatives could be this year. And then as a follow-up for Glenn, we'll be good to hear your comments on some of the puts and takes to the January metrics um, that we got in the shareholder letter, and then also an update on how you're thinking about the trajectory of the business through the year. Thanks. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so the business performed pretty consistent with our expectations in Q4 and in, into January. A lot of the factors that have affected us you know, since the start of the pandemic are still present. Our traditional business was uh, resilient, uh, I think, in the face of these externalities. Um, but, you know, we, we've seen two things. I talked about these consistently over the past year. One is um, we saw a pullback in, in small business advertising spend. And, and put simply, small businesses were paying a little bit less than they were before uh, spending a little bit less to, to meet new customers. And the other thing uh, which, you know, I said we had to accomplish was uh, to grow our sales force. And we end, we end the year with the biggest sales force in the history of the company. That is up 30% from the trough uh, we experienced in the middle of last year um, as a result of just uh, externalizing our workforce and, and figuring out and learning how to uh, onboard and train sales reps. So as we enter this year, you know, we have a large sales force. They're off to a great start. And the benefits of those incremental sales reps will accrue over the course of the year to provide uh, more capacity. Uh, the other thing is just, you know, when and how does, does, this, does the spend from our existing customers uh, normalize or get back to previous levels? I think that's a really difficult question to answer. The, the way we're approaching that is, um, you know, I think it makes rational sense that it normalizes, but we're not banking on that. Uh, we believe we can reaccelerate our traditional business, uh, you know, whether that whether that happens or not, and irrespective of the timing of it. Uh, if it does happen, it'll provide obviously a nice tailwind. But um, you know, through larger sales force and through our own internal activities, uh, we believe very firmly that we can we can get that traditional business accelerating from where we are today. Uh, se separately, you know, we're very happy with uh, the benefits fixed price delivered uh, throughout Q4. When you look at the you know, sort of the modest acceleration in the overall business, most of that is a credit to the growth in the fixed price. Um, not only is it sort of exceeding our expectations, but uh, it had a nice counter seasonal effect where it's really quite strong in Q4 relative to the normal seasonal patterns of our traditional business. Uh, we expect that growth to continue, you know, strong throughout this year. It does bring, you know, it does bring meaningful capacity to the market, the ability to serve more customers. Um, so we're excited to see that grow and, and, and sort of be a counterbalance to uh, the ebbs and flows of, of the way our traditional business works. And then on the product front, we have, we have uh, a lot going on, both to supply, just to address supply you know, challenges, uh, but also meaningfully to, uh, you know, to uh, pursue our, our most important goal, which is to develop a, uh, you know, a very large and strong direct uh, to brand consumer audience. And simply put, you know, we uh, are trying to build uh, the largest audience uh, and, and most loyal audience of, of homeowners in the industry, and we think that is, uh, you know, the fundamental thing we need to accomplish to build a, a very, a very uh, strong long-term business. Um, we've talked about over the course of last year lots and lots of innovation that, uh, you know, we were able to bring to market in terms of new features. And as we, as we, as we look forward to this year. You know, we're very much in the early innings of fixed price. Uh, I know it's grown, you know, it's at 160 million, which is a bit ahead uh, of where we thought we would be. We've got it over 200 projects, but we're, we're very much in the early innings. There's a lot of innovation yet to come, both in terms of refining uh, what that product experience is like, uh, refining our ability uh, and optimizing our ability to price super accurately in every local market, and then ultimately um, to uh, 
through scale, improve the quality of the ecosystem. Every, every bit that we grow larger, the product grows stronger uh, through the benefit of more coverage, more providers, more history on the providers, which leads to higher fulfillment rates with our customers, which in turn leads to happier customers that repeat at a much higher rate. I think you probably all saw in the letter, uh, we released some metrics that um, indicate the behavioral changes we're seeing in consumers to engage with these new products. Uh, the, the early results are very strong. You know, our, our, our path ahead is about getting more and more customers into these experiences, and that'll be a big focus for uh, this year. Thanks, Brandon. Just to translate that into, into numbers and the puts and takes for the year, uh, revenue in, in January was, uh, was as expected. You know, recall last year we changed from net revenue accounting to gross revenue uh, accounting for a pre-priced or, or, or fixed-priced um, business. And if you look back on the fourth quarter, um, that provided a, a list of about $22 million uh, to our revenue. So uh, the fourth quarter grew revenue about 6%. Uh, again, similar to uh, to January and as expected. We still expect, as we talked about on the last uh, last earnings call, a nine to ten percent uh, revenue uh, revenue growth for the ensuing uh, quarters, until probably the third, more likely the fourth quarter, as all the initiatives that Brandon spoke about begin to kick in. That's on the sales, obviously. That's the scaling uh, of fixed price, uh, and that's on um, you know the other product innovations that we've been talking about for a while. In terms of the monthly metrics, I'll ask you as we report the monthly metrics uh, this year, to have one eye on the monthly metrics this year and one eye on the monthly metrics last year. Because obviously last year there is a lot of volatility in respect of how uh, SPs behave due to COVID, how consumers behave uh, due to COVID. So February was our strongest month uh, of the year last year. We grew 21%. And March obviously was, uh, was flat and April was even, uh, was even down. So you will see some, uh, some volatility in the monthly metrics, but again, we are very comfortable with the nice 10% quarterly growth, again, until the third and fourth quarter, when we uh, expect to hit our 20% targets, 20% um, uh, targets, and then, given all the work that Brandon and his team uh, are doing, accelerate into 2022. Our, our next question, if we can go to uh, Brent Phil from Jeffrey. Good morning. Uh, for Anjali, um, if you could talk through the confidence uh, in the Vimeo trends, uh, that they're not temporary, and how you're anticipating a, a post-pandemic recovery. Sure. Look, we, we're obviously watching the demand trends carefully, uh, and they are holding, you know, our, um, our sales pipeline is strong. January was the strongest we've seen, um, even, even stronger than the peak of, of the pandemic in March. Uh, our days to close on our sales cycle have stayed short. Um, and on the self-serve side, our highest tiers are growing you know, over 200% year-on-year in booking. So certainly from a, from a demand perspective, uh, no signs uh, of, of a slowdown. Uh, but the bigger thing that we see is the use cases and our customers using video in ways that we would expect to endure and in ways that are helping them drive better outcomes for their business. And there we see it very clearly. You know, you've got companies like Starbucks and Lowe's, um, you know, training their store associates using video um, or Nike training their retail partners like Foot Locker in Europe. And, uh, and when you see, you know, those organizations be able to uh, reach their their um, associates in ways that are more engaging, more scalable at a fraction of the cost, you don't see them going away from that. Same with fitness studios, performing arts venues, cultural institutions, they're 
finding that they can access larger audiences than they ever could before. In some cases, 10xing um, the, the, the number of, of audience that they have. And so we just don't see a, a rationale for why they would go back from that. Um, and you see small businesses who are able to get higher clicks, more customers from using video than image or text. Uh, and by the way, that's in an environment where a lot of small businesses are shut down and many more hopefully after the pandemic will come back. So just it gives us a lot of confidence that video is going to um, you know, settle. We don't know exactly where from a demand perspective, but certainly at uh, uh, an elevated level than what we saw pre-COVID. Uh, what that means for our growth uh, trajectory, also hard to predict. Before the pandemic, we have said we expect to grow between 20 and 30% in terms of revenue. Uh, obviously, if you look at the monthly metric, that no longer applies as a range. Uh, how much higher than that is, is what is, is hard to predict. But again, certainly expect to be growing faster than uh, we anticipated before the pandemic started. You know, the revenue recognition uh, dynamics of this business, uh, as you know, the craft-based subscription business, that uh, deceleration from, you know, where we are today, the north of 60%, to the north, 30%. That'll be staged in over the next uh, over the next few quarters. We'll probably bottom out in the fourth quarter. Maybe uh, you know we'll come close to the 30%. You know in the fourth quarter of this year, and then do expect, given all the, the product work we're doing, given all the investments we're doing uh, across the year, we do expect to again accelerate uh, from there uh, into 2022. Thank you. Our next question, we will go to Ross Sandler from Barclays. Uh, hey guys, <clears throat> just one for uh, Glenn and then one for uh, Anjali. <clears throat> so Glenn, yeah, nothing more exciting for an uh, IEC enthusiast than reading 487 page spin documents. So uh, thanks for dropping that during earnings season, by the way. Um, but a question on the spin mechanics. Uh, so it looks like IEC will get uh, 88% of Vimeo will be spun out. There's a $6 billion in post-money valuation right now, or about 161 million shares, so about 1.6 or thereabouts uh, Vimeo shares for each IEC share. Is that correct in terms of the, the ratio? And then what's the mechanics from here in terms of the timeline? Uh, and then the second question for, for Anjali, um, I thought one of the more interesting data points was that uh, 25% of Vimeo revenue comes from subs that you upsell to a higher tier, a higher price tier. So can you talk about how you're working to convert more of that 200 million free users into the 1.5 million pay, and then within that 1.5, how you move them up? That'd be great. I'll, I'll, let me knock out the first one. Um, Ross, that's, uh, that's impressive. Um, but there's another 150 pages. I believe it was 620 or 630-page document. Uh, but, uh, no, in terms of in terms of timing and process from here, uh, yeah, we re, we refiled the S4 earlier this week. Uh, we uh, as we uh, respond to SEC comments, um, we'll probably refile it again in the next week or two uh, when we'll drop in year-end financials uh, for um, for Vimeo and IC, and then hopefully we'll navigate through uh, the SEC process throughout the month uh, throughout the month of February. That should tee us up uh, for mailing to shareholders uh, in March. Um, and then have a shareholder vote potentially the end of March, early uh, early April, and then hope to affect the spin sometime in April, uh, you know, worst case, early May. So uh, early second quarter uh, is the timing. 
uh, you, as I said, there's a great read of the document. We do own, after the two capital raises, we do own 88% um, of Vimeo. Uh, we have about 146 uh, million shares uh, of, um, of Vimeo, 86 million shares uh, of IAC, so the spin ratio will be uh, 1.6 uh, based on these current estimates. Obviously, that could evolve. So every shareholder um, of IAC will get 1.6 shares uh, of, of Vimeo, again, based on And, and then based on the $6 billion post money valuation that Vimeo last uh, raised capital at, uh, that obviously is a uh, $35 uh, uh, stock price uh, for, uh, for Vimeo. Um, on your question about uh, upselling um, our free base, our free users into paid customers, we see a huge opportunity to do that. And a lot of our product investment is designed to unlock that. So um, a couple of things that we, we see. So today, I think about 60% of our um, paying subscribers start as free first. And then about 60% of our enterprise customers come from that free or self-serve base. Uh, so already you kind of have a premium model. But if you actually look at what you can do for free on Vimeo using video, we see an opportunity to get every one of those free users to be creating content. So one of the things we've done is we've launched uh, our Vimeo Create app um, and are offering a version of that for free to our user base. Uh, we recently launched a screen recorder tool called Vimeo Record, also free for um, our user base. And this is a way in which we are looking to really drive to the bottoms up product-led growth by having employees, um, small businesses, just creating content, which is usually the biggest barrier to getting people to use video. Um, and then from there, expanding to you, you know, branding and customization, then upselling to a higher tier. Or security, if you want to put your content um, in, in, a, in a secure portal. Um, or expanding team size. You know, that's, a, that's a big opportunity you'll see us do a lot to really um, be a sort of per-seat or team-driven model in the future. So we've got quite a few levers to kind of move um, that base. And you know, if you just look at the base itself, uh, nearly 70% of Fortune 500 companies have an account on Vimeo. And you know, we have less than 4,000 enterprise customers today. So it's a huge opportunity, and, and we think the biggest unlock will be product and having the right um, mechanisms to both get people creating content for free and then the reasons to upgrade. Our next question will be from John Blackledge at Cowan. Uh, great. Uh, thanks. So two questions. Uh, one on Vimeo subs. Just curious. Uh, what the mix of, of new subs was in 2020, business versus creative pros, and any color on the overall sub mix uh, ending 2020, again, business versus creative pros. And then within business, uh, the mix of enterprise versus SMBs, which I think Angela just referenced enterprise subs, and, and how that uh, could trend uh, in 2021. And then on care.com, if, if uh, you could just discuss uh, engagement uh, metrics that you referenced in the letter and then perhaps frame the uh, the drivers of, of the business in the next uh, three years. Thank you. On the video sub question, the vast majority of our new subscribers in 2020 are businesses. Within that, there's a good mix of smaller businesses um, all the way up to, to large organizations. 
Um, but we're, we very clearly, you know, I think every year we've kind of seen that, that mix shift um, away from pros towards businesses that has certainly continued um, and in some ways accelerated since the pandemic. And we expect that trend to continue. Um, and then in terms of, you know, enterprise versus SMBs, our sub volume is much, much heavier towards the small business. And we don't, if you look at our, our customers today, we don't have, we have, you know, on the enterprise uh, side, which is these are, this is anyone who uh, our sales team has spoken to, um, you know, that, that's around 4,000 customers. But again, if you look at the actual users in the base, uh, a lot of free and self-serve customers are large organizations. And, you know, the way we're sort of thinking about it is, how do we, you know, if we have one user or buyer within an organization using our tools, how do we actually expand from there um, in a very seamless way so that other departments, other buyers, and other teams can discover our products and use them? And so, so what you'll see on the enterprise side is both trying to land new customers within our existing base and through our sales team, but then also trying to expand within each organization so that Vimeo's share, if you will, of how they're using video across that organization increases. Hey John, on CARE, the, the, there's probably the best example is it also gets a, a big change we made in product, but what we've started to do with caregivers is they're all certified. And what that means is it's actually harder to become a caregiver. There's, there's more friction in the process of becoming a caregiver. And that, as you'd imagine, leads to actually a decrease in caregivers on the platform, which you'd say initially, you know, bad news. Good news is the, the caregivers who are coming in are much more engaged, and the interactions that we're now seeing between the caregivers and the families is uh, much more fruitful. So we can deliver fewer applicants to a given job and get more success in that job being fulfilled. It's, it's happening actually to quite a meaningful degree, meaning there was a period where you would get dozens or even hundreds of, of listings for a job when you would list it. To sort through less and, and speak to fewer people and get success on that and be confident that the, the caregiver they're, they're connected with is background checked and, and certified in the way that they go through our process. Uh, and so sometimes actually, you know, we spend a lot of our time in our products trying to reduce friction. This is an area where we actually added friction to drive engagement and, and that seems to be working well so far. Overall, the metrics, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of you would, would be in the same camp. Think about my family. We, we haven't had a caregiver in the, the house in a year and in, in a normal year that probably would have been 30 times or 15 times or something like that so we see less um uh we actually see again less engagement from families right now given that the, the need for child care in going out and things like that is, is happening less but in retention we're holding and the reason we're holding retention is, is i think people see the value in the product they are optimistic that they can start using the product more and uh but but right now there's just less need for it uh so it's i think very encouraging to see retention holding when we think about the um the future of care and the next few years it's continuing to drive that engagement and driving that engagement driving frequency which means being relevant more often so so picking up on those themes making it very easy, so we've, we've talked about this concept in other products, 
make it very easy to do something like instant book. Uh, so you're going out, you want somebody, you need somebody quickly, and knowing that the, the, the caregiver has met certain parameters that you set forth, or you can instant book, or you can see the schedule of both the family and the caregiver, and you can match those, and those schedules are accurate and up-to-date and reliable. When we have products like that, I think it drives subscription because you can add real value in the subscription. I think it drives uh, engagement for both sides of the marketplace and, and things like that are going to be important. The other thing that's, that's really big, I think, over the next few years, and you'll see us start to talk about increasingly, which has been a real pleasant surprise for us, is we talked about a little bit in the letter, is care at work and the enterprise product. I think that is just absolutely relevant and a necessity for most enterprises today. It's starting to think about how they can help with child care or senior care for their employees. And, uh, and we're seeing real growth in that business, exciting growth in that business, and I think we're going to continue to innovate there in ways that, that will open up a, a, what I suspect will be a much bigger market than, than exists today. Thank you. For our next question, we'll go to Brian Fitzgerald at Wells Fargo. Thanks, guys. Uh, maybe it's for Glenn and Brandon. Um, uh, on Angie, fixed price or pre-price is roughly 10% of the business now. Where do you think that gets to longer terms? And, and, and then in terms of the long-term margin structure, is that predicated on fixed price hitting certain thresholds? And then a quick housekeeping one. Can, can you remind us right now that the 2,200 products that are fixed price, what, what portion of the TAM do you assume that, that addresses? Thanks. Yeah, uh, great question. So, yes, we're, I think we finished at about 11% this year. Uh, you know, I, I would say our internal target and our ambition is to get this to about half the size of the business. And the reason for that, you know, it's a little bit arbitrary, but the reason for that is that we believe that the, the two lines of business, our traditional business and the, and the pre-priced business, are really synergistic. Um, as the pre-priced business grows, it really, not only does it serve our customers better, but it uh, ultimately increases our buying power, allows us to invest more in growing participation in the marketplace, and then both product lines really, really benefit from that. Separately, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the bigger the pre-price ecosystem gets, fundamentally, the better the service gets. The higher the quality, the better the reliability, and ultimately, the better uh, the transactional economics get as well, simply because we're fulfilling at a higher rate and, and you know, with a, with a higher level of quality. So, you know, I think uh, getting to getting it to half the size of the business is certainly our internal ambition in terms of the time frame to get there. Um, you know, it, it's tricky because our, our traditional business is large and we do expect that traditional business to keep growing. Uh, so, I, you know, we're looking at somewhere over a five to seven year time frame, I think, is a, is a reasonable guess. Obviously, you're projecting out pretty far uh, on that. Um, in terms of the, the 200 projects, I think that is um, I think that is right around. I think that's in the ballpark of, of only uh, a third, maybe or so, maybe a little bit over of the total addressable market for home services. Um, within that 200 projects, a lot of those are, are I think we said, are around 50 billion TAM, which is only about 10% of, of the addressable market. Um, those are the ones that we have very high confidence in. We understand the economics of, and, and um, the other part, which I talked about over the course of the last year, were these higher uh, dollar uh, projects that were averaging more about $5,000 per ticket. The last time we talked, I said we were more in the early experimental phase, that we had some promising signs on the consumer side in terms of their willingness to buy, but we were still figuring out, you know, what it looked like to fulfill those kind of projects and what the economics would be. I, where we sit today, our confidence has grown substantially. Uh, we are, that is growing uh, pretty quickly. Um, you know, obviously, we need consumers to buy. We've uh, gotten comfortable with our ability to fulfill. 
and our real focus uh, during this year is, is getting that uh, that that higher, uh, that, that more valuable line of business uh, contribution margin positive. We feel optimistic. I think we moved from hey, this is an experiment to this is this is probably going to work and it could be pretty big because it, it opens up a lot of the additional addressable market. In terms of the long-term margin structure, um, yeah, I think the fixed price does uh, impact that. And I, I think the way to think about uh, our opportunity, you know, it's a 400 to 500 billion dollar market. And in our traditional business, that revenue opportunity used to be our take rate. Now that we have fixed price or free price, now that we have financing, you know, now that we have, um, you know, additional products, you know, we talked about subscription uh, in the letter. Um, I think we're now going after the full 400 to 500, you know, billion dollar opportunity. So the margin opportunity may be more muted on some of the larger consideration jobs, but obviously the EBITDA opportunity is uh, is substantial. If we go back to our traditional uh, our traditional business and the lower consideration jobs on uh, on fixed price, yeah, our margin targets to 35 percent uh, are still. Uh, are still uh, absolutely achievable. I think I've done this a couple times, uh, but to, to frame it up, you know, sales and marketing are 50 to 55 percent of of, uh, of revenue. I think this past year it was 52. Um, product and development and GNA, 20 to 25 percent of revenue. This past year it was 25. You uh, apply, uh, you look at that against our current 10 to 15 uh, percent. Um, percent margin, and I think you have five to ten points in the GNA and product development category. And you have 10 to 15 points in the sales and marketing category. That gets you to 35%. Uh, but again, as we scale the median consideration uh, jobs, where you know our pro pays a lot higher, materials are a lot higher component of the total. That's the $5,000 jobs. That's the $10,000 jobs. The 35% is the bridge too far. But again, we've reframed our entire opportunity to go after the entirety of our TAM, the 400 to 500 billion dollars. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Our next question will be from Jason Helstein at Oppenheimer. Yeah, thank you. Um, two questions. First for Anjali, um, maybe talk a bit about the behavior of the, your cohort. So uh, when you think about your 2019 cohorts, the way they acted in 2020, um, what drove the increase in the value of those cohorts when you think about what they did, any pricing changes you made, the way you were able to drive usage. And then second, Joey, maybe I want to dig a bit more into the, you know, the, the use of cash, $3 billion. I mean, in the letter, you did talk about a wish list for DotDash. Um, you know, historically, the content digital media has been small for you. I mean, should we expect you guys to move much more meaningfully in that as there are assets that, that could be bought? Um, or could it be more things to bolster or accelerate um, things like the care.com business or maybe um, perhaps more investments in gaming um, to follow what you've already done? Thanks. Uh, so on the Vimeo cohort behavior, you know, we're seeing two trends. One, uh, our existing uh, customers from prior cohorts are paying us more um, today than they were before. So our net revenue retention on enterprise um, has been increasing for, for you know, seven consecutive quarters. And, and that's coming from um, the investment we're making in the product, expanding the use cases, and sort of optimizing our sales motion. 
Um, and then we also see that just new cohorts in general are paying us more than uh, in 2020 than the new cohorts were in, in 19 and 18. And, and that's because we uh, are seeing greater demand for our higher priced offerings, areas like live stream. Um, and as we shift the mix of our subscribers, more businesses looking for advanced marketing tools, that's analytics, customization, uh, we just see that, uh, that there's more desire to pay, willingness to pay for those features. And that's why, even on the self-serve side, our two fastest growing plans are our two highest price ones. Um, and then the other piece, of course, is just general retention and product engagement. Uh, there, you know, we've been watching this very closely since the pandemic be began, um, and we see no indication of deterioration in retention. Um, product engagement has been holding really strong, and in some areas, like live streaming, has been higher um, among uh, recent cohorts. And so, you know, just generally looks like a very solid, healthy um, cohort behavior. And there's also tons of room for us to go. And this is where, you know, we look at, again, the use cases we serve right now. We have so many customers asking to use Vimeo and video in a bunch of other ways. And the quicker we can get some of the things that we're working on on our roadmap out into the market, uh, the quicker we'll be able to expand that net revenue retention even further. Uh, on Jason, M&A and the Dash. So Dash is a good place to start. We, we definitely are looking at businesses there and I definitely think we can find some opportunities, nothing imminent right now, but what, what's driving us there is really just the success of the business standalone and the success of the business on the acquisitions they've done so far. By the way, if we wanted to, to call this a software business, which it's not, but if we wanted to call this a software business, their top 25 advertisers, 100% of them renewed 2019 to 2020 and spent more. So we would talk about like net revenue retention. They're, they're over 100% at that business, which is pretty impressive for a publishing business. And the reason that's true is because they have, they perform, the, the ads perform for advertisers. And we're still doing that with the uh, fewest ads uh, in the, the competitive landscape. That starts to build a real competitive moat. We're investing more in content than, than, than others and we're monetizing it less uh, while performing for advertisers. If we can keep that formula going, which I do believe we can, we can continue to add into that. The main way we're doing that is going to be organic growth, which is adding more content of the same level of quality, of the same level of freshness, with all using all those same tools. Uh, and, and we want to, in any given period, be investing significantly more in our content than, than any of the, the competition. Um, but we find areas where we're, we've been looking for them, and we continue to find areas where we can add on a publication, a site, a brand, where we can we can kind of put this same system to work. Uh, and we've done that to a relatively small degree so far. I mean, it's probably the biggest acquisition there is 20 or $30 million or something like that. The, the, I think we can, we can go bigger. Um, it may be that it turns out there's nothing available. Maybe there's nothing available in our price range, but I do think that there's a lot of brands in this area that, that could use help and where we will try and bring that to bear. Um, but I don't see it likely that that's going to be a very large portion of the $3 billion of cash just given what's available. Uh, so that goes back to the other things, which is where we prioritize in the cash. Uh, besides uh, .dash, CARE is a good one, although we just did an acquisition at CARE, which seems to be working out very well. 
uh, that, that bolsters the care of work business, adds a bunch of customers and revenue there, and where, where we think we can cross-sell. That, um, not a huge acquisition for us, but a good one. My guess is probably not a lot more acquisition of care as we, we digest that one and, and focus on the organic growth. Uh, and then gaming is another area. Look, the numbers at BetMGM right now inside of MGM are mind-blowing. I mean, they're, they're unbelievable growth, what we're seeing. The numbers that we saw in Michigan are really unbelievable. And that was a huge proof point for MGM because we have a huge offline brand. MGM has a huge offline brand in Michigan, uh, in, in Detroit. So that was a start. With, that was a market where we entered in the very beginning, which is obviously important. Uh, and it's, it's a market where the, the, the whole system, you know, should work. And what we're seeing so far is it is working. And uh, that's not just confidence for MGM, but it's also confidence for us in the category that this, this tailwind of, of a new market growing, of it being accepted and explored by a, a whole new base of users, uh, is something that, that is really interesting for us, uh, for our capital. We talked about, you know, MGM had looked at this acquisition recently, which, which was public, and we talked about we'd be willing to put capital into, we were willing to put capital into that kind of thing. And, and we're still open in this area, whether that's through MGM or otherwise, we're, we're definitely still open in this area, and it's fun to see a, a category transforming so much and growing so much, and it's fun to see especially MGM success, which was a big part of our thesis. Obviously, the, the, the recovery on, on uh, COVID at MGM, you know, who knows is, is anybody's guess, but that that MGM's in a safe balance sheet perspective, but then there's always this option, and uh, that option seems to be really exciting in there right now. Uh, I think that probably answers your question, Jason. Yeah, yeah that's good. Uh, if you want, you can call uh, Dodge-Ed Tech, because that's, uh, that's <laughs> back in vogue right now, so there you go. Yeah. Uh, our next question, can we go to Yanni Yadgarin at uh, Credit Suisse? Hey guys, good morning. Um, so two questions for uh, Brandon on Angie, if I may. Um, so the first one is on the, on the supply side. So you guys have called out seeing some phenomenal kind of engaging metrics for early consumers using fixed price. Um, on the SP side, are you guys seeing similar kind of benefits to retention? What kind of like engagement are you seeing with SPs who are opting into your fixed price network versus your core lead gen business? And then second question, um, you guys intra quarter have called out some kind of price increases due to overwhelming demand on fixed price. Um, we'd love to hear some more details around that, um, the magnitude of those increases and um, how that may be impacted your economics on fixed price. Yeah, uh, great question. So um, thanks, Johnny. On the, on the SP side for fixed price, you know, it's a completely different offering. And for a provider, you know, the dynamic is, is exactly the opposite of our traditional service. In the traditional service, providers are paying us, but with fixed price, you know, we're, we're paying providers and we're going out and offering them a job. It's their uh, choice as to whether that job is appealing and, and whether the price point is appealing or whether they have the availability. But there's really no downside for them. They either find it attractive and opt to do it and we pay them or, uh, or they don't and they pass it up and perhaps, uh, perhaps take us up on the next one. The, as you can imagine, that, that dynamic uh, makes it much more attractive and much easier to bring providers uh, into our uh, marketplace for these kind of jobs. And in general, the way we think about retention for providers is, um, you know, as long as we have a steady flow of demand for them, it, it tends to promote activity, right? And uh, if, if 
if we go a long stretch, if we have a job for you today, but we don't have another job for you for two months, then a lot of times those folks will go stale. And it's not so much that they're quitting the service, it's just that um, it's the nature of sort of keeping a constant flow of activity and how that promotes engagement. So, um, you know, in general, the, the cost to acquire these uh, providers is very low. As long as we have a steady flow of demand, retention is very high. And quite frankly, we really think about it, uh, we really think about it differently than, than perhaps you would for an advertising business where retention really isn't, you know, pro-retention isn't necessarily the main driver or the biggest issue. Um, it's really about having enough pros and enough coverage um, and keeping up with the growth in demand. And as long as we're growing, you know, at the pace we're currently growing, it is a human-driven uh, task to go out and, you know, continuously get more and more providers to keep up with that growth. And that's really the gating factor, uh, is just, it's just scaling. Uh, in terms of the price increase on a, a fixed price, you know, I guess touching on exactly what I just said, um, we're constantly balancing incredibly fast growth in consumer demand with our ability to keep up uh, with just going out and scaling the provider, you know, our, our provider coverage. And in particular, last year, you know, because of some of the volatility created by the pandemic and you know, at one point thinking that things were falling uh, sort of uh, off the table and then seeing an incredible resurgence and uh, reacting to a pretty big imbalance uh, in, our, in our ability to keep up with providers, we, we adjust the prices up. Uh, we will adjust those down, you know, as uh, appropriate given our ability to fulfill. And, um, and right now I'd say, you know, that, that balance has improved a bit. Uh, we continue to get better at it and gotten better at it through the course of the end of the last year. But that'll be the dynamic for a while. As long as we're growing transactions in the fixed price uh, on the consumer side at a very high rate, we'll be um, stretching to keep up uh, in terms of grow uh, growing you know, provider capacity over 200 projects and 400 plus markets. Uh, it's a it's an enormous you know sort of scale challenge, and it's one I don't I don't it's not going to go it's not going to go away for a while because we expect to grow fast uh, for a while. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question, can we go to Agal Arunian from Wedbush? Hey, thanks, guys. Um, one question for uh, Anjali and one for, one for Joey. Um, on, on Vimeo, Anjali, you, you touched on it a little bit on um, the e-commerce side. You, know, you guys have partnerships with Shopify, with GoDaddy. We've been hearing more and more about live streaming opportunities for direct-to-consumer uh, companies you know, uh, around selling products. Uh, can you talk about the opportunity there around e-commerce a little bit more specifically? Um, and then, Joey, uh, the, the color around um, MGM and, and online gaming is helpful. Um, can you talk about, uh, you know, that, now that we're a few months into the relationship with MGM, um, you know, how that relationship has worked, what you've kind of uh, brought to the table, what, what they've brought, and, you know, what you guys have kind of collaborated on together? Thanks. So for Vimeo, on the partnership side, you know, we really think of partnerships as um, an acquisition channel um, and also a way to open up our market by exposing more businesses to the power of video on the platforms that they're on. And so, uh, yes, we've announced, you know, native integrations or partnerships with GoDaddy, um, Shopify, 
more recently, MailChimp and HubSpot were the last latest two. We've got others coming. We, we are investing in partnerships, and, and really the, the key, the model that we're looking to scale here is natively integrating parts of our capabilities directly into these platforms, and then having the ability for those customers to have a direct relationship with Vimeo when they want to do more. And we are seeing, I think, promising signs there, though it is still early, um, and definitely a growth area for us. Uh, within that, you know, there's a couple different area buckets. There's live, there's website builders, there's marketing and CRM software companies, and then there's e-commerce for sure. Uh, and, and truthfully, I, we're looking at all of them as, as really interesting areas to go into. Um, e-commerce for sure is, is uh, one of the use cases we are seeing traction in, our Shopify app. Um, you know, is getting really great reviews, great engagement, um, and there what we are allowing uh, an e-commerce uh, store owner to do is just very quickly automatically generate videos for their product detail pages, um, just using the existing content that's on those pages, um, and then the ability to edit and customize from there. So I think you'll see us do more in, in, in e-commerce for sure in helping businesses use video to, um, you know, sell their products, increase their conversion rates, et cetera. But it's not, you know, that's one of the use cases across video that, that we're focused on and our partnership strategy is broader. On the MVM relationship, it's, I think, fantastic. We're, we are, the leadership at MGM is great. Bill Hornbuckle's, I think, doing a wonderful job with the business, and he's he's very keen on our help in digital, which is obviously our experience. Uh, the we just hired a the MGM just hired a new CFO, John Halkyard, who's, who's got great experience and seems fantastic. Um, and uh, the, the it's a company with a very uh, engaged board, so they're they've been they've been wonderful to work with, and our job there, our view of our job there is just to help and be available when they need us. And if that means looking at things on digital and opining, great. If that means helping recruit talent, we help bring some people into the company and we'll continue to help bring people into the company and in areas where we have a good network. Uh, hopefully that, that continues. Uh, the, the, really when you think about it, it's just, I think, helpful to have a very big shareholder with deep pockets and a long-term commitment because we can have very open and valuable conversations with MGM leadership and management that says here where we can be supportive, we can put capital behind things, uh, we can put our whole organization behind things in terms of teams and work. And uh, I think that's been hopefully, I, I mean, I, I, you, you can certainly ask them, but hopefully that's been uh, additive and productive and it certainly has been from our perspective and, and we hope that continues. I mean, when we're in something for a very long term with that amount of capital, we're gonna put a lot of attention to it and, and again, just do it in, in whatever ways that we can be helpful where they want us and, and hopefully that, that continues to work as it, as it has been so far. Great, thanks so much. Our next question, can we go to Kunal Madhavar at Deutsche Bank? Thanks, Mark, thanks for taking the questions. Uh, a couple on Angie, if I may. One, uh, with regard to, uh, you know, fixed price versus versus the traditional marketplace business, looks like the, the marketplace business was flat in 2020 year over year. Wanted to understand if you are deliberately uh, funneling uh, customers along the fixed price route uh, in order to kind of get scale in that side. So that's one. 
second as as we look at, at the guide that uh, the that Glenn just talked about in terms of you know 9 to 10% growth in the first two quarters and then getting to a 20% by the fourth quarter as we look at like the comps the comps get easier in the second and third quarters uh, and then it gets slightly tougher in the fourth quarter so uh, as 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 we look at the guide versus the comps can you can you help us reconcile in terms of you know what is driving the confidence in your ability to get to the 20% growth in the fourth quarter and not in the second when uh, the comps get much easier thank you thanks kanal uh, so in terms of funneling customers to fixed price versus our traditional business, you know, every customer that comes into our marketplace in the projects where we offer uh, pre-priced services is really has a choice. Um, they can connect with the local provider and that monetizes through our, our traditional matching business, or they can engage with the pre-priced you know, on-demand offering and purchase the service directly. The truth is uh, we've had and, 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 and can have continued to have uh, during 2020 uh, more customers than we can service through, through, through both sides of this business. And um, there's really no, the, the, the reason with our traditional business that was, you know, growth was pretty moderate last year, year over year, it was largely driven by uh, the fact that small businesses have pulled back on spending. And that is really just an indication of their ability to handle more customers. The pandemic has affected uh, those small businesses in a variety of ways, and uh, we just saw, broadly speaking, uh, those small businesses pull back on the amount of money they're willing to spend to meet new customers. The best research, it's a complicated topic, the best research I've seen uh, on the industry says that most of these small businesses expect to grow their ad spend in um, 2021. Uh, as we all know, the future is uh, difficult to predict at the moment. But it is not uh, that is not an artifact of us, you know, funneling people one way or the other. Um, we have uh, we have an excess of, of consumer demand for services is the reality. And then, Glenn, do you want to take the the question on uh, comps and, and the guide? Yeah, sure. Um, look, our, our confidence is born of of a couple of things. Um, one is the uh, growth in Salesforce that Brandon spoke about earlier, and as we've talked about in the past, it takes six to nine months uh, really for that Salesforce to kick in. It's also the growth initiatives uh, that, we've, that we've talked about and fixed price uh, continuing to scale. But the biggest issue is the world has to get back to normal. These SPs whose businesses have been impaired, either their ability to hire people, either their supply chain, their, their, uh, the issues that we've all seen with, uh, with supply chain, and people being comfortable to have SPs you know, come, into, uh, come into your home. The world has to get uh, get back to normal uh, for us to uh, pierce through that, and we expect that it will. And then also, as uh, Julie talked about in the letter, you know, SPs right now are inundated with uh, with demand. Of course, some from our platform and some uh, on their own. Um, and as uh, SRs, we think will moderate over the course uh, of the year. We think monetized transactions obviously uh, will uh, will go up, um, and we'll be the beneficiary uh, of that. We have a great aggregate amount of demand and a great top of the funnel aggregate amount of supply. And now we've got to remove the friction, uh, and now we've got to match that, and our monetization metrics, we think, will, uh, will strongly follow that. Mark, thanks, Dave. One. Thanks, Dave. One. Yeah. Sure. So our, our last question will be from Yusuf Gwali from Truist. All right. Uh, thanks. Thank you, and thanks, Mark, for squeezing me in. So two quick ones for me. Uh, I guess I just want to double-click on um, – on Angie with Brandon, if I may. So just trying to think through kind of the gating factors to take you from 200 jobs to even uh, a greater number and uh, 
maybe attacking the entire TAM and the, the, the pace for that. Can you speak to the contribution margin of that business of the prepaid versus or pre-priced versus the rest? Are you getting, are you at a point where you are already at somewhat a parity between the two or does that not even factor necessarily in the, uh, in the equation for you to aggressively, you know, push uh, on the accelerator there? And then on the, uh, maybe one quick question for Anjali. Um, the team has historically, and, and, and you've touched a little bit on that earlier, but I want to dig a little deeper. The team has historically talked about the Vimeo opportunity as a, a 20 to 30% grower over time with about a 20% plus segment EBITDA margins over time. As you become independent, as you go out and you know, address uh, your own set of investors, what is the, the, the message, I guess, as a SaaS company, a lot of SaaS companies talk about rule of 30, rule of 40, rule of 50, which is your growth rate plus your uh, uh, operating margin uh, or EBITDA margin. Can you just speak to uh, how you look at it and how, how will you guide, basically, once you have an opportunity to do so? Thanks. Yeah, thanks. That was not a question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, on, on the on the Angie on the Angie question, so for fixed price, we have uh, we have a lot of projects covered that are lower value, lower ticket uh, price, and we feel extraordinarily confident about the long-term margin profile of those uh, of those project types as they mature, and they cover you know in excess of 100 billion dollars of TAM alone. So there's there's a tremendous amount of room to run in terms of growth just in those project types. There are higher uh, value projects that I, I referenced earlier that are around $5,000 you know, a ticket. And we've been more in experimental mode with those, but at this point we feel pretty confident that we can um, you know, drive, the, drive growth there with, with, with good economics. We'll still prove that out during this year. Uh, in terms of getting to more TAM, it's really in this ladder bucket. We started with you know, a subset of projects and are going out and getting uh, good at them, if you will. And as that uh, as that playbook you know proves uh, you know proves successful, we'll we'll essentially go out to more and more of those larger projects and continue to um, continue to offer uh, more of a pre-priced offering. Uh, so you know in terms of how much of the 400 500 billion do we ultimately get to, uh, I don't know for sure, but I certainly feel comfortable and confident that we're going to get to well beyond half of that as our as our uh, addressable market with pre-price and perhaps well beyond half. Uh, it'll take time and iteration. To get good at each of the project types, it's not a it's not a cookie cutter process where the exact same, you know, method works for every every project type. There's some learning and iteration involved. Yeah, now on contribution margin, uh, in aggregate, our our fixed price or pre price business is contribution margin positive. We passed that uh, in uh, in 2020. Obviously, the path to profitability is uh, the investments we're making uh, to uh, to scale that. But importantly, the contribution from our fixed price business is greater than the contribution we get from an equivalent uh, SR. And that's what excites us. That's what helps us reframe, you know, this opportunity about going after the entirety of that 400 to $500 billion, uh, billion dollar market. Uh, look, I think we think about the business like any SaaS company would. Uh, you know, we were, I think it was a rule of 40 SaaS business in 2020. We were a rule of 50 SaaS business in Q4. Uh, hard to say what near-term 2021 will look like as we lapse the pandemic, but in terms of long-term growth on top line, as I said, you know, our original range of 20 to 30%, we think is conservative. 
hard to say how much higher we'll be above that, but we certainly think we'll be better off than we were pre-pandemic. And then on margins long-term, I think we said around 20%. Do we think we can do better than that? Uh, yes. Is, is there a goal in the near term to be profitable right now? No, we don't see any reason to do that. We're investing in growth. Um, and we are focused on our unit economics. You know, LTV to CAC is strong right now. We are increasing growth margins. We've, we've crossed 70% um, and, and think there's room from there. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep focusing on improving margins and, and keeping our, our unit economics solid. Uh, but otherwise, early market, lots of opportunity for growth. And it's all going to come down to building the right products for our customers. One other thing I'd add, as, as people think about, you know, about Vimeo, I'd also focus on the free cash flow uh, because uh, despite the investment year we're having this year at Vimeo and the investment year, sorry, the investment year we had in 2020 and the investment year we're going to have in 2021, uh, as you'll see in the S4, we still generated over $30 million of free cash flow. And that's not given the revenue recognition dynamics. Uh, given our, our booking, that number's not going down. Um, so I think that's an interesting way for people to think about, you know, calibrating uh, the uh, EBITDA and the uh, uh, throughput with the revenue growth. That's great, Carl. All right, everybody, we were run over on time. Thank you for joining us. It's fun to have watched the entire sunrise and Brandon's background here uh, in, in Denver, and we've got a new day starting. Talk to you all soon.